Welcome to the Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast with your hosts, Mike Randall and Gus Kearns. The snow's fallen here on the East Coast, which means that the college basketball world has to be turned upside down yet again. Welcome back to the Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast. We talk all things NCAA basketball with you. Mike Randall here. You can follow me at Randall Rant. Please follow the podcast at SDS Podcast, both on Twitter and my partner, the man who knows more college basketball than anyone in the continental United States. Stop it. That's not true. Gus Kearns is here. Follow him at CKearns12 on Twitter. Gus, thoughts on the chaos that was this weekend? I think we just, we can just term it upset Saturday. There were so many crazy things that went down because there were so many ranked teams playing. I mean, we were bound to get a few, one or two. What were there, six ranked teams that lost? There, there was a number of noticeable upsets across the board. I think we got. I think we have to start talking about some of them, right? Yeah, crazy. And uh, you know, I put out my my solo pod the other night, Gus, and I, I talked about the SEC being better than the ACC. Oh, I would have liked Tennessee to beat North Carolina. That, yeah, that would have hammered that one home. That would have been nice. Oh, and I would have had an unbearable intro. But we'll save that for another time. But Gus, let's start with the Big Ten because the Big Ten pretty much had a good, a real good weekend. In fact, I think they had a very strong Saturday. Let's be specific. First off, Rutgers upset Seton Hall at home. And that game, Gus, was very fascinating because Seton Hall had control of this game for almost the entire game. That is a tough game. It's on the road. When you play a team on the road, especially when you're an interstate rival, Gus, that's always going to be difficult. But this was a game that they really should have had. 71-65. Rutgers win 71-65. And I believe, Gus, they outscored them over the last like three or four minutes, something like 17-2, to something like that. Talk about it. This game kind of followed the script that when we when we talked about this last week or a couple of podcasts ago when we were trying to like uh, predict how will Seton Hall get to Big East play? Will the Rutgers game be a trip up? And we felt it was tricky. And we also championed Rutgers saying like they're going to get one of these Big Ten at home here because they they have the right way to play. They muck it up. They slow it down. Lower possession game. And, and they, they make you play their way. But I felt like Seton Hall was going to play at their pace, which they did, that you mentioned, for the first half. They put up 40 points in the first half. And if you look at that final score, Rutgers forced their will on the game the second half and slowed the game down to their pace. And Seton Hall only scored 65 points total. So, you, I mean, you just do the math there. A 25-point second half isn't going to get it done on the road. Yeah, it was, it was Seton Hall's up 42-32 at the half, and they got outscored second half 39-23. to Seton Hall, I felt like, was going to inflict their will on the game the second half but it happened the first half and Rutgers they're a little bit ahead of schedule I think we can say I mean I thought they were getting a couple of these wins or maybe get a win or two in the in the Big Ten at home because of their their adjusted uh, style of play but yeah I think this win against Seton Hall puts them ahead of schedule Uh, so many things here Gus to talk about first of all Corey Sanders is a finisher and that's a skill we talk about. In fact, Gus, you had that skill when we played in high school. I like to say that. You were a finisher, my friend. We, we, uh, we tried. We attempted. Big three-pointer on the road at Weehawken, but we can talk about that some other podcasts. But uh, much like Gus, Corey Sanders is a finisher. He scored eight of his 22 points, a season high for him, in the 17-2 run. I had it right on the money. And Rutgers pretty much had their biggest win since Peichel became coach. Now, Steve Peichel, remember, came from Stony Brook, had mm-hmm. been there, Gus, for several years, really sustained success that we talked about, but couldn't get over Vermont, and he couldn't get over Albany. I think it was uh, right. P- Peter Hooley hit the three. His mom had passed away, hit the three from Australia. Yeah, I- yeah, and then he finally uh, got you know, he finally got there with yep. Warney, and yep. uh, they played Kentucky in the first round, right? Yep, and, and exactly right. And Rutgers sold it out. 
It was a live atmosphere, a lot of fun, great win for Rutgers. They're 10-3 and now on the season. Seton Hall falls to 9-2. and Listen, I think Seton Hall is very, very good. We talked about that, the four horsemen. But Gus, whether they're going to get a top four seed or not in the NCAA tournament mm. is defined by these wins. Kind of like my St. Mary's comment that I was saying as well. Yeah. Like you got to win these nine. Listen, Seton Hall's making the tournament. They're a great team. We talked about that. that that's not an issue. But the issue is they want to get second weekend, right? And your chance oh, yeah. of getting second weekend is going to be better if you're a higher seed, right? That's what the numbers say. This is a tough loss for him. It's not the end of the world, though. I don't no, think. No, no, I don't no. think we need to jump off the Seton no, Hall Pirates bandwagon no. by any means. Nope. I, I think the the two things we take from this is uh, number one, it's tough playing on the road, yep. any place. Yep. Uh, and number two, Rutgers slightly ahead of schedule. Great win for Peichel. I, I think they were like angling towards one of these program wins or wins that they can really hang their hat on for the rest of the season and be like, look, if we played like we played against a ranked Seton Hall team, now that's going to be said in the locker room over and over again. Yeah, well said. And, and that was just the start of a great weekend for the Big Ten. The other one, Gus, is the Big Ten swept the Crossroads Classic. Now, those are the four games there. We had Purdue, we had Purdue play Butler, and we had really the highlight one, Indiana play Notre Dame. So let's start with the easy one. Purdue pretty much put that game to bed right away. Just came out on fire, right, Gus? And Butler, who's going to be a solid team and a very live team, especially at home in Laval Jordan's first year, really never had a chance against Purdue. This game, I think, is the perfect example of basketball is a game of matchups. And if you look at Butler's two best players, you look at Baldwin and uh, Martin, you know, they're all Big East type performers, right? You match them up with who they're going against with at Purdue. You're going against Carson Edwards and Vince Edwards. They're already outclassed. So they're already, Butler was playing from behind the eight ball with their two best players being matched up against two better players. Like, that's not going to happen to Butler every time. Excellent point. Very good point. Yeah, so that happened against Purdue, and then you throw in Haas, you throw in Dakota Mathias, you throw in from uh, Harms off the bench. Yeah, he's been very good for them, Gus. Harms is really an issue. He really is a very nice player. He's not. He doesn't even need to have a giant impact on the offensive end. He is having a very large impact on the defensive end and and disrupting shots. Great point. This was a great game by Purdue. I was very impressed by them in this game. They had five guys in doubles. Vince Edwards with a solid 15 and six, like he has every game. Isaac Haas, I think, I know this is nuts. I know this is nuts. I'm about to say this. I think Isaac Haas is their MVP because he was, here's why. (laughs) Talk about it. I love that you change your tune on this. I did. Well, here's my issue. And I, and I, you know, again, we keep it 100, Gus. No problem bragging when I'm right, but no problem admitting when I'm wrong. Isaac Haas had to replace Caleb Swanigan, at least by position, if you want to go there. He has stayed out of foul trouble for the most part. And Gus, Mm -hmm. there's been several games they have not made their threes. This game, they were 9 of 21. That's a solid 43%. No issue there. But Isaac Haas, 15 points, only three rebounds, but he became a legit offensive weapon. If he scores, Gus, Dakota Mathias and all those guys are going to be wide open. 15 for Edwards, 15 for Haas, 18 for Carson Edwards, only one of five from three. Mathias, 14 points, only one of four from three. P.J. Thompson, 12, only one of two from three. So pointing this out. Between Carson Edwards, Dakota Mathias, P.J. Thompson, Gus, they are 3 of 11. The difference, Vince Edwards, 4 of 5. I, I like the matchup with uh, Keelan Martin and Vince Edwards, and it seemed like they played each other to a little bit of a standstill, but I think Carson Edwards totally outplayed Baldwin, and that was uh, that was the key here, and that kind of kept the distance of the Boilermakers over the Bulldogs. And once we're done talking about this game, the next game, Indiana and Notre Dame, you would think like on any weekend that would be like the biggest upset of the weekend. 
Indiana with a gigantic win for Coach Miller. And how good was how good was Morgan in this game, huh? Oh, it was crazy. It was crazy. Notre Dame had control of this game for almost the entire time. With five minutes and 48 seconds left, Gus, TJ Gibbs hits a three. They go up nine. That's got to be good night for Notre Dame. Has to be, right? But then Robert Johnson hits a three. Then Morgan makes a layup. Then Morgan makes a jumper. Then Morgan makes a free throw. You see where this is headed. They go to overtime, and the end of this game is nuts. With 20 seconds left, TJ Gibbs makes two free throws, put him up three. Then Jawan Morgan goes to the basket. Great move by him. He was huge for him on right. the game. Makes the basket with 11 seconds left. He's got a free throw. He misses the free throw. Zach McRoberts gets the rebound, fires into Morgan, who, by the way, hustles to get the rebound. Well done. So he must Correct. by the paint. Puts it home 78-77. Devontae Green makes two free throws. And then Bonzi Colson Gus puts about as Whoa. close. I mean, that was a tremendous look in and out. Big win for Indiana, 80-77. to Gus, Notre Dame. A little tough here, though. Some odd losses. Ball State loss really opened your eyes. I think this loss is a little bit more explainable when you're going to have a guy like, you know, Joel Morgan go off. And you you mentioned, like, his defining sequence in this game in overtime where he goes to the line, the rebound bounces to him, he dunks it home. Uh, that, that series was uncanny. That was, like, the thumbnail sketch of that particular game. And Bonzi Colson totally pulled his best Gordon Hayward impersonation there. That thing went in, out, and touched everything but the bottom of the net. That one almost sent it to double overtime, which would have made this like game even more of a classic than it's already going to be and already going to be remembered as. Gus, Jawan Morgan last year averaged 7.7 points per game. This year he's averaging 16 points per game, had 34 points, 11 rebounds. Just an outstanding job. Robert Johnson, the senior who thought about turning pro, had 20 points. So impressive win for Indiana. I feel, Gus, like this gets a lot of people. If they were going to see how Archie was going to do, this buys him a lot of street cred for a long time because this, this is a big one in Indiana. You know what the other thing I was thinking about too when I was, you know, we were watching Morgan kind of go off in this game? Doesn't he totally remind you – of those great Dayton teams and those great Dayton players, oh, like one. yeah, yeah, you know, like uh, Pollard, who oh, was like good. maybe yes. slightly undersized in the post, but he always got his money's worth. Who was the J- of- JMU guy? Cook. A cook. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cook was a great shooter. Juwan Morgan fits perfectly into this mold, but guess what? He's six eight, two thirty. He's not like a six five, two ten undersized power forward. He looks the part and plays the part. So the fact that he's buying into what Archie Miller's selling and the way that there's he wants him to be playing, it totally reminded me and was reminiscent of those great Dayton teams that he had uh, just a couple of years back that made uh, you know great runs in the NCAA tournament. And if Morgan is going to be that guy, like. They are no longer, uh, you know, Archie Miller doesn't have to put out like an undersized lineup and play a, a six-five guy at the at the five. He can put Morgan out there, and he's going to be a stud. So I, I, I'm impressed. Again, much like Rutgers, I think this win gives Indiana a little bit ahead of schedule, a little bit. Yeah, and Gus, Notre Dame, just interesting. Lost to Michigan State by 18. Lost at home, Ball State by three. Now lost Indiana Crossroad Classics by three. Mm-hmm. Still feel they're very solid. You have a point guard. You have an All-American player. So I, I still think they're going to be very solid. But I, I think it's worth noting that things have not gone as planned for Notre Dame. they got to get things together here. It's amazing, Gus. If you look at the ACC rankings right now, first of all, the fact that Boston College is up there, that's 1-0, is hilarious. But at the bottom right now, because they go by, if there's no in-game, first of all, Duke is last, right? Because they're the only right, one there. Right. But yes. like Notre 
Dame's at the, it's just crazy. Duke and Notre Dame, two of the preseason favorites are at the bottom. It's going to change. But just, oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's all upside down right now. Yeah, like wait till down. like conference play actually gets rolling. But yes, I agree. Those couple of losses, the Duke loss to Boston College and Notre Dame's recent stumbles to Indiana and Ball State here definitely have you second guessing. It puts them in the same boat as uh, like Arizona was, sure. uh, you know, when they were in the Bahamas. I don't think it's much very dissimilar from that. But at the same time, yeah, I think you have to scratch your head a little bit on this. My wife asked me, anything else you want for Christmas? Remember I said I may get the Bo Jackson jersey or something else? Oh, I, great jersey. I, yeah. I, I said, uh, can you have Arizona State and Arizona both went out until December 30th? You mentioned Arizona. She said, what? I got nothing. No, so, so, so. Uh, I, I don't know if she has that much power over there. If she does, like, uh, just, we, may, we may need to tap into something. I put that tweet out today, that between the legs. I mean, well, what's going on with that? Anyway, uh, last one we have to mention, Gus, about the Big about the big Ten, then we'll move on. Two huge wins of the Hitachi College. College basketball showcase. The first one, of course, Michigan rolls on <laughs> the big one over Detroit Mercy. Okay, <laughs> just a, you know Charles Matthew, twenty points. Okay, that makes sense. Not much to say. I can't even try to say that. And then Michigan State, eighty six seventy three over Oakland. Oakland frisky. Oakland live. So that that is that they they came to play a little bit. But the one thing I want to point out, Gus, here about Michigan State, I think it's worth noting. Yeah. Since the loss to Duke, they've beaten every single team they've played by double digits. The closest yeah. game they've had, Gus, and they've won one, two, three, four. They've won nine games in a row since the Duke loss. The closest mm-hmm. game they have was at Rutgers by 10. They've won every game by double digits. I just think that's worth noting that they're starting to get things together. Can we can we just hit the rewind button on that comment a little bit? The fact that you mentioned Rutgers yes, played them true, the toughest. Right? Yeah. <laughs> goes back to this Rutgers you know, win against Seton Hall. Rutgers is getting it together. We are. I am ex- so excited that that's the case. This is awesome. Great job, Coach Peichel and the coaching staff there for the Scarlet Knights. But yes, I agree. This uh, Oakland team is live. They have their full complement of players. For the first time, I think this season, they had Hayes, Brock, Walker, and they had none. And so they had like kind of their four anchors all playing at the same time, which I, I think it's one of the first or second times they had all four of those guys. Um, none went off for 32, but the rest of the team was a little bit hampered and, and didn't have great shooting percentages. And I think that's a little bit due to Michigan State's improved defensive attention, which I think was brought to their attention after that Duke loss. I'm totally with you on that. And what do you think about this Nick Ward and Izzo spat? Do you think there's anything to this or do you think it's just, ah, you know, Nick Ward's just going to put up another double-double and they're good? My honest answer is I think it's garbage. I think that Tom Izzo is creating stuff to start distractions. I think he knows this team is good. They had the Duke distraction. Right. So that was enough. And now they've won nine in a row. I think it's nothing. I think he's doing the I'm going to be hard on Nick Ward because he can be a difference maker for us. And by the way, you don't think he's realizing he's got a matchup with Isaac Haas. Okay. I I think he's whipping the sophomore. And I think he's that's, you know, we played high school basketball. There was the chosen guy who was getting yelled at. And it was usually you and I, by the way. And our head coach came over to us one day before practice and said, guys, I just want to thank you for, uh, let me yell at you. You know, I can't yell at everybody on the team, but I appreciate you yelling. And we said, yeah, no problem. And then five minutes later, here it comes again. Mike, throw the damn ball. That's what it is with Nick Ward. I really believe it, Gus. I think it's much ado about nothing. I really do. I, I love that you're quoting uh, uh, Bill Shakespeare. I think that sounds great. I think that's a totally appropriate right now. All right. So what do we got? Now? Anything else you want to hit in the Big Ten? Gus, where I'd like to go next is, I, I again, I have to vent here about Kansas. All right. Oh, boy. Okay. First off, I was very involved in the fantasy football playoffs this weekend. I'd like you to know I went three for three. So I'm in the finals next week. All three. Very excited. Uh, had I really focused, Gus, I would have, if betting was legal, put a substantial, and I mean substantial amount of money down 
on Nebraska getting 12 at home against Kansas. Folks, so you would you would have you would have uh, put the money on the Cornhuskers. Uh, Gus, at least uh, two dollars. You know what I'm saying? Uh, okay. I, I mean that that twelve is insane. This is a team that is struggling right now. They have no bench. I know Cunliffe came back, but here is my point on this, and then jump in. This yeah. game was nip and tuck the entire time. I think Kansas got up by about eight, seven or eight, and then Nebraska came back, and then we hit halftime, and Kansas slept three, and then Nebraska took the lead quickly in the second half, about ten minutes left, fifty four, fifty three. Uh, Kansas opened up, then here comes Nebraska, and the end sequence of this game is beyond infuriating. If you looked at the scoring, Gus, <laughs> and listen, Azabuki had 26 points, so he was the leading scorer, which is what they need. I understand that. But right. Gus, again, 7 of 22 from three-point range. That's Kansas. Now listen, you're going to say that's 31%. I-, I think that's a solid percentage, but it's not solid when your entire game is relying on that. Now you're going to say, why, Mike, is it relying on that? Because Gus, yet again, like they did against Washington, they attempted 8 Free throws. They're not going to the basket. And that's what I mentioned in my in my uh, pod yesterday. Frank Mason went to the basket, Gus. He shot oh, yeah. a ton of free throws. Devontae yep. Graham does not. In this game, he did go four for four. But he the team only won eight of eight. And four was by Mitch Lightfoot. So the end sequence is infuriating. Nebraska has this game won. They played great. Only eight of 22 from three-point range for Nebraska. But they matched them on the boards, 33 to 33. They played very well. They had a lot of blocks inside, seven blocks. Four from Roby off the bench there. Played 30 minutes. Played outstanding. Gus, the sequence is they are up to with about 15 seconds left and self does that dribble weave right well, as okay. as always okay as always and I, I listen i'm not criticizing him because i think this is the theory theory is i have five-star players and five-star players have to make plays and everybody scouts right gus so i mean like everybody's got a video so you can't run like the elevator play you know because i mean somebody's gonna have that right so, so all he did gus was get the ball to Devonte graham Devonte graham they cleared out the left side of the court Graham drives to the basket, Mihailik standing in the corner, and the guy guarding Mihailik helps off of Mihailik, leaving him wide open. Graham kicks it, wide open three. Here's my point, Gus. Graham's got to make the shot inside. They have Roby. They have a bunch of guys inside that can block or misdirect that shot. You got to let that one go. Smee Mihailik wide open in the corner, bang the three. It's only a second three of the game. They win by one. Just very frustrating. And I, I was, I was going to say that must have been infuriating for you to view and absorb. Because they had it, they had, sure. they had it, and, and given that, I still don't think they're going to win the Big Twelve. And we had a, a, I had a little, you saw that little direct message back and forth with I think uh, a Jonathan uh, Warner who follows us. Oh, right, right, right. But, well, who else is winning? And listen, this is my point, guys. I don't. If you made me say right now, Gus, I'd say West Virginia. But I don't think I have to name that. It's not like when you fire a coach, right? You fire a coach, you're like, well, who are you going to replace him with? Gus, I got a whole conference full of teams that can win it. Okay, so I don't have to pick one. I, it's not like I'm having a one-on-one bet here. It's it's Kansas versus the conference. I'll take the conference. Yeah, it's much like it goes back to the conversation of when Tiger Woods was really good. You're going to take Tiger of the field. Like oh, you're taking please. the field here. That oh, makes sense. Please, Tiger's back. Oh, come on. <laughs> back. I love that. Sixty-eight in the first round. Seventy-eight in the second round. <laughs> Easy, everybody. Easy, um, and you know, just just to give uh, just to give Nebraska a little bit of love here. Played great. Played very well. Yeah, Isaac Copeland, the the George, uh, Georgetown grad uh, transfer, is playing really well. Twelve point nine rebounds. Yeah, twelve point nine rebounds. Yeah. I think he's going to be an impact player and 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 average uh, you know double figures in points in the Big Ten for sure. And I think that's one of uh, uh, Coach Miles's mo's is like to find these like cast off players from other programs and then like plug them into uh, starring roles and into successful positions. So I think Copeland falls directly into that category for sure. And Nebraska is proving itself to be very live. It's not going to be one of 
those stops in the Big Ten where you're going to be like, all right, we can, we can get a win here and get out of here. I totally agree with you. Unbelievably frustrating if you are a Cornhusker follower. But Kansas letting their players make plays, just like you mentioned. I wanted to do the the next three games as like a little mini three-pack. Does that love, sound okay? I love all packs. Six-pack, three-pack. I love them. The biggest upset we'll get to at the end of this three-pack, Oklahoma and Wichita State, was unbelievably exciting. But a couple of other exciting games uh, that we can include in here, and one of them is Gonzaga needed overtime to co- overcome North Dakota. I did and not so- see this game. Did you see this game? I watched a lot of oh, this. Oh, great, great. Tell, talk to me, Goose. Talk to me, Goose. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Matt, what we had going on here was North Dakota came in totally under the radar. Like, they had gotten blown out by a number of different teams. They got blown out by about 40, by Creighton. Um, they got blown out of the water by uh, 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 South Dakota State um, uh, and the, Jack, the Jackrabbits, I believe. And they, they just did not have – they did not have the resume coming in to bring a top 10 team or a top 12-ish team like Gonzaga to overtime. But I tell you what, after watching this game, they have two guys that are going to play professional basketball somewhere. Uh, Crandall, the guard, and Seals, the forward. Both of those guys are players. I, I, I mean, I'm not saying they're going to be NBA players, but they will definitely have a professional career in basketball. Both those guys are super talented. Now, Gonzaga down the whole entire time. Down in the second half. They were down eight in the second half. They had to fight all the way back. And Norvell Jr. put up a ton of points at the end of regulation and in overtime to give Gonzaga the win here. They had nice balance scoring throughout uh, up and down their lineup. But I felt like Gonzaga was almost fell prey to a bunch of these upsets that happened on Saturday. And they fought and clawed and, fa- and found a way to, to win this thing in overtime. But I tell you what. That North Dakota team with Crandall and Seals, they're not terrible. I mean, their record says they're terrible. They're not terrible, but those two guys are decent. If uh, they, you know, if they pop up uh, on your schedule or on your radar, they might be worth watching. Crandall, especially, he's really, really crafty with the ball. Perkins made some big plays late to bring them back. Hit a couple three, nice driving layup with an and one. So Gonzaga squeaks and avoids this upset Saturday situation with the overtime win over North Dakota. They're, they're out there in the big sky, Gus, and you're totally right. Crandall and Seals combined for 51 points. Yeah, they, 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 they're good. Crandall made four three-pointers, shot 9 of 23 from three-point range, which is better than Gonzaga, and that's what you're going to have to do. If you Listen, they're not as good as Gonzaga, so they're going to go on the road. they got to make some shots. Gonzaga, as usual, killed them on the boards, 44-27, which I think was the key. And listen, this is going to happen, and I agree with you. It, it, there's Many teams have gotten upset. Okay, the fact that this went to overtime and it was North Dakota, certainly alarming. And I'm sure Coach Few will have a lot to say about that at practice. But survive and advance. It's a lot to be said for them because they didn't fall prey. I agree with you. They got the win. That's what they needed. Another team that falls right in line with Gonzaga here that was fighting an East Tennessee State team that was fairly live was Xavier. So they needed a Trayvon Blewett. Step back jumper with about six seconds to go to get the 68-66 win over East Tennessee State. And Xavier had to put up a ton of points. So, you know, East Tennessee State obviously slowed this game down and tried to limit possessions and whatnot. But when you have the best player on the floor like you have with uh, Trayvon Blewett, he has an opportunity like that to go ahead and win the game on his home floor. That's what's going to happen. Um, so Xavier and Gonzaga, I felt like we're kind of in the same boat. Like they were they were right for the taking. 
And yep. they could have fallen prey just like Notre Dame fell to Ball State earlier. And you would have had this like really odd upset loss. But both of them avoid it. And Xavier, thanks to Trayvon Blewett, wins by two and will remain in the top 10 in many rankings next week. Uh, East Tennessee State in the Southern Conference. Gus, it's the same team that went on the road against Kentucky, and they were down six at halftime. So they, mm-hmm. they're alive. They have some play, guys that can play. They shot 11 to 28 from three-point range, so they're bombing away. That's what they have to do. Xavier struggled. Listen, they struggled to score. East Tennessee State was there. Like you talk about all the time, these games that occur over the break, you're so right on that. You never know what's going to happen. Looking at their scoring, it's crazy. Marshall saved them with 15 points off the bench. Blewett, of course, is, is a guy who can take the game into his hands, 18 points. And Gus, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that Kaiser Gates was one of five from three-point range and one of two from inside. Okay, he put up two from inside. That's a victory for him, right? <laughs> I mean, that, that, that's just got driving nuts. But Gates, seven. Jones had five. Gooden had five. And Makura had one. O of eight from yeah. the field. Survive and advance, very similar to Gonzaga. Great win. And when you have a player like Blewett, you avoid these upsets. Absolutely. It's such a luxury to have somebody like that that can just like, okay, go make a play. It's, you know, we, we kind of mocked Kansas for the same situation. But if you have somebody like Blewett, like a, that's, you'd be silly if you didn't do that as the head coach. Play, like, okay, Trayvon, just go win the game for us, please. And that's exactly what he did. But the third game in this little three pack that was ranked inside the top 12 that could not escape the upset bug was Wichita State against Oklahoma and Trey Young. Now, this game is like one of those games where it points a finger and then Trey Young. Not only did he play out of his head and play really well, they beat a top three team on the road while doing it. Now, you may think like, oh, man, Trey Young went bananas. He had 29 and 10. That's kind of what he's averaging. So he just had like an average game. And his average game totally outclassed Landry Shamit in the showdown of top shelf guards. Young had uh, 29, 10, 4, and had only a couple of turnovers until late when Wichita State went bananas with uh, their press. And, and, and he turned the ball over twice late uh, with under a minute to go. So he ended up with four turnovers. But he took unbelievably great care of the ball. And what a win for Coach Kruger, huh? And who who else besides Coach Kruger would go on the road to play Wichita State. Wichita State usually has to beg people to come play him, uh, come play them uh, at their place. Forget it. Usually they have to go travel someplace, but Oklahoma and Coach Kruger went in and got the came out with the win. Really impressive. Gus, this is a this was a a knuck and futz game, okay? Because Wichita State is home. They have no McDuffie. They've survived a couple scares along the way. Now listen, they didn't need this game because they have that built-in excuse. Statement: This game, they are absolutely going to be ranked not only in uh, the national top twenty-five, Gus, but in ours next week, uh, coming out tomorrow as well. Trey Young. 9 of 22 from the field. The only reason I'm bringing that up, Gus, is because he is not Allen Iverson. He is shooting 47% from the field. This was a bad shooting game for him. Think, right. think about that for a second. Bad shooting game. Like you said, 29-10, 4 of 11, three-point range. He always makes his free throws. Insane. He makes a player like fellow freshman Brady Manick that much better. Manick was 5 of 13 from three-point range, 21 points. And oh, by the way, Richard Odoms, who was averaging double figures last year, he hasn't even gotten going yet. This was a great win for Lon Kruger. I don't think it's a big deal for Wichita State at all. Right. Just a great job. What a win. You know what the other thing I noticed about this too? They won this game with almost nothing from uh, Kadeem Latin. He might have had like a couple of points, yeah, zero but he point, might have put points, up a donut. Zero point six rebounds. Yep. Yeah. I mean, so that makes it even more 
a bigger head scratcher. Like, how did they do this? You would think if you were going to beat Wichita State on the road, you'd have to get a decent performance from your reliable big man. And they got literally nothing. So that puts even more emphasis on how impactful Trey Young is. And you mentioned like him and Manic. You can totally compare the Oklahoma backcourt to the um, to the Alabama backcourt with uh, Sexton and Perry. Uh, Petty. I think it's a very comparable, like the same like dynamic happening. Sexton and Trey Young are just like these jump off the screen athletic marvels. And then you have their Robin just like, hey, I got a couple open threes here. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to knock them down and I'm going to score 20. Uh, so I think both of them are going to be b- dangerous moving forward. But I tell you what, Great win for Oklahoma. Really impressed. They blitzed them. They blitzed them right from the start. They were 10 to 23 from three-point line in the in the first half. They made 10 three-pointers in the first half, and the Shockers were only giving up 68 points per game coming in. They were up 15 at the half. Wichita State was down 17 points with about a little under eight left. They never were close. Oklahoma State shoots like that, and they're on the road shooting like that. Imagine what it's going to be like when they're home. Huge win for Oklahoma. Well done, Lon Kruger. Well done, Oklahoma Sooners. Gus, another one we want to talk about, the Orange Bowl Classic. And I got to throw kudos to you. When we did our pod last week and talked about when will these teams lose, and I talked about Florida State, Oklahoma State, you said be careful. It's exactly what you said came out of your mouth. Sure did. And exactly what you said came true. You said Carroll could be the best player on the floor, and he was, better than Terrence Mann, and he was. Oklahoma State with a huge win, 71-70. It was in Florida, so it counts as a road game, much to the chagrin of the two guys who argued the Kansas tweet with me. But we'll Uh, let that go. Correct. (laughs) 71-70, Oklahoma State, big win over Florida State. We were going to wonder when they lost, and you nailed it, my partner. So why don't you talk about it here? Big win for the Cowboys. So the Cowboys, again, we talked about them coming off the, the loss and the opportunity that they had against Wichita State, where that game was very tight going into the half. It was Both teams were scored under uh, 30 points, so you felt like Oklahoma State was playing the right pace and playing it the right way to beat uh, Wichita, and Wichita just came out and blitzed them. Landry Shamit went bananas. This was another opportunity for Oak State to kind of get that signature win and get moving in the right direction. And Mitchell Solomon, thankfully, gave them that opportunity. They were down one off a of Terrence Mann make. Mitchell Solomon tips it in with about five, six seconds to go, and that closes the game up and gives the Oklahoma uh, Oklahoma State Cowboys the one-point win over the previously undefeated and ranked Florida State Seminoles. And, yeah, I think when uh, – I, I mean, we talked about that. Uh, when was everybody going to lose with uh, uh, John Gassaway's uh, article? But I just felt like the, the, this was – this opportunity – just seemed a little too ripe and you knew that Florida State was going to get tripped up somewhere before ACC play. It's not like they were going to go into ACC play totally undefeated. So yeah, I felt like this was saucy. I felt like it was live. I felt like it was worth paying attention to. And Oklahoma State comes out with a big win, not rights the ship, but at least gives them something to hang their hat on moving forward into uh, conference play after the holidays. Florida State plays tremendous defense, always has, has under Leonard Hamilton. Last year, Gus, they did a great job. They were three seed in the West bracket. They played Florida Gulf Coast. They won that game. It's a frisky game early on. And they lost to Xavier. And Xavier ended up going on to the Elite Eight. That's Florida State's thing. Even when the bracket opens up for them, they didn't have to play Arizona. They didn't have to play six-seeded Maryland. They played the 11-seed Xavier. What happens when it opens up? They always fumble. And they just don't have enough offense. That's the problem here. And I'm starting to think, Gus, and I guess we'll get into this in a minute, Maybe the Florida State win over Florida was more an indictment of Florida than it was Florida State. You, you know what? I think you can change your optic on that a tiny bit. I totally agree with that. You know what the other baffling thing is? What you mentioned last year's Florida State team? Like they had three pros that left. They had like talent and scoring. Like, so I, 
Uh, yeah, you're right. Like I didn't get it. And you you mentioned how the bracket did t- kind of totally open up for them. And there was an opportunity for them to go face Gonzaga to get to the final four. Florida State would love to get to the second weekend one of these years and and be as consistent as a program like Xavier. So I'm totally with you on that. You know, Leonard Hamilton gets criticism. People who have sustained success are a victim of their own success. He did a great job in Miami, right? When they're in the Big East, he won Coach of the Year twice. Look at the years he's rattled off at Florida State. 20 wins, 22 wins, 19 wins, 25 wins, 22 wins, 23 wins, 25 wins. 26 last year. But they just haven't been able to push it past the point where the fans will support him. Like, there's a lot of clamoring about his job down in Florida State. Right. The best they ever did was the Sweet 16 2010-2011. They finished third in the conference. They were second in the conference last year in the ACC. They just want to get over the hump. When you, I'll tell you right now, Leonard Hamilton leaves Florida State, they go right down the tubes. And that's what people don't understand. I think it's very similar to the situation at Pittsburgh. With Jamie Dixon, they just got kind of spoiled. Did Jamie Dixon ever make that Final Four or have that like you know gigantic uh, March run? No, I mean he had that Fields team with uh, Sam Young and and they made an Elite Eight, but they just got spoiled, and so they eventually get him out of there. And like, look where Pitt is now. So I think if they were going to get rid of Leonard Hamilton, I think the situation would absolutely mirror the situation in Pitt right now. So I mean. Florida State fans, like, pay attention to that. That I don't think that's what you want to be viewing uh, if you get rid of Hamilton as your coach. And yes, he has had success. And yes, he is a victim of his own success. Very, very well said, Mike Randall. Explain to me, Gus, in this next game why why there are some teams that I'll never give credit to, no matter how well they do. I know, I know, where, I know where you're going here. And, and I'm staying. I, I think Florida's great. I, I, I like. I understand they're struggling, and I understand they're six and four. But couldn't you really bring up a question, Gus? Does John Abunu make this big a difference? I, I mean, I, I think it's fair. At this point, they have lost four of their last five games. They lost the close one to Duke. Then they've been in a free fall. Florida State, Loyola, Illinois, right? Loyola, Chicago beat Cincinnati and Newark, and then now they lost to Bromel and Clemson. I mean, what is going on with Florida? I don't get it. Uh, I, I think the biggest thing I think this speaks to is the volatility of when you rely on that much three-point shooting. And when that goes a, just a smidge south, it totally throws everything off. It's not like they're totally falling off the deep end as far as their three-point shooting. But when you are that reliant on it and you do, do use it that much. And now, I, you know another part too about this we haven't talked about? Now that there's a larger sample size on each one of these teams, the coaching staffs are doing a much better job because they can, they can scout it out a little bit better. It, you know, we'll get to the UNC-Tennessee game, but it just felt like that the first half of that Tennessee game uh, with UNC, like they, the Tennessee was just unbelievably well coached and had exactly what UNC wanted to do like in their back pocket. And it took some adjustments at halftime by UNC to, to you know, finally pull that game out. But Maybe people are a little bit on to Florida, especially because they're so one-dimensional currently right now. Yeah, frustrating. I, I don't know what's happening in Florida because they should have been able to beat some of these teams along the along the way. Certainly Loyola Chicago at home. Clemson was down 12. This game looked like it was over. They came all the way back back against Florida. They're 9-1, which is their best start since 2008. And they beat a ranked team, Gus, for only eighth time in school history. Just bizarre. I don't think Clemson is very good. I still don't think they're very good. I still think Florida is good. Explain that one to me. 
<laughs> Look, I, I, I don't know what kind of logic you're using there, but I'll tell you what, like Marquise Reed looked like the best guard on the floor in this game, which was really striking considering the talent that Florida has in the backcourt and with their shooters. So I felt like that was that was, that was, that was interesting because I don't think I would have labeled Reed as, I don't know, the fifth best guard in this game, not not the, the absolute best player. This game... Definitely falls into like this finals week. Everybody's a little bit off schedule. I think it falls into that too. But yeah, I think I think we have to start rethinking and looking at Florida a little differently than we did right after that Gonzaga game and when they played Duke really strong. This is a different team now, so I think they I think they need to like unplug, detach, and then try to get started again after the holidays and and, and just say like, look, we we were unbelievably successful in these situations. Let's go back and try to replicate those situations. Last thing I'll say here, if you look at the SEC, and you heard my thoughts on this, I think the SEC's best basketball conference in the country, top to bottom. Yep. My ration, my rationale is Florida is third from the bottom, ahead of Vanderbilt and Old Miss right now. After the, If that's your third worst team, I mean, that's crazy. And listen, I don't think Florida's going to be 12-12, and 12, Gus. I think they will get it going eventually. Oh, yeah. Maybe maybe Abuno comes back and everything. Mike White's a great coach. They'll figure it out. But right now, it's shocking. You see Auburn. Kentucky, Texas A&M, Mississippi State, Missouri, Arkansas, South Carolina. Porter Jr.'s come back from Missouri. I said that. Alabama's 7-3, and three, and you know how dangerous they are. It's just amazing to see Florida this, this far down. The there point. are not a lot of losses in that conference thus far. I mean, uh, Auburn has one loss. Uh, um, you know, Mississippi State. That, 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 yeah, I, I'm with you. That, that, that conference, they have it up and run in the right direction. And now that they have this going into league play, guess what? the whole league benefits. Now they just get beat up on each other and get quality win after quality win. So at some point, like there's going to be either just like a, a conglomerate of teams from the SEC that just have like these great metrics and great numbers next to them. Or maybe one of these teams just plays bully and starts beating all of these teams with low losses in the in the loss column and and we have like a favorite that comes from the sec i'm I'm intrigued to see what develops moving forward after the success that they've had early on the season as a conference on the whole all right guys and the last one we'll cover here quickly before we uh, have a little fun i got something fun for you yet again i love putting you on the spot gus i did watch all the cincinnati mississippi state game which occurred uh last time before we had a chance to talk about on the podcast And then I saw them against UCLA. Mm-hmm. Here's the deal. These games had a totally different feel than the game against Xavier. Totally different. Here's what happened. They got offensive rebounds. They kicked the ball out to Jacob Evans. Jacob Evans got a short jumper. Then Kyle Washington got a putback inside. Then Gary Clark hit a three on ball reversal. They controlled the pace. They picked up full court. They got rebounds against the matchup zone. Totally changed everything. Ben Howland's done an amazing job, Mississippi State. They've really turned it around. Holman is is done a fantastic job, 18 and 10 for him. The Weatherspoon and Weatherspoon, 12 points each, but they controlled the pace. If they don't get down early, I really think that Cincinnati can beat anyone in the country. They cannot get down by 10 to 15 points. The game is over. But they just looked more aggressive on offense. They, they attacked the basket. They hit ball reversal. They got offensive rebounds. The guy who got the offensive rebound then looked to score, didn't look to kick back mm-hmm. out again. Justin Jennifer had three, had one three-pointer. But they, again, Evans had 24. Washington had 16. Then you go to the next game against UCLA. Same thing. They control tempo. If you look at the game flow of this game, it went back and forth, and they opened it up about five minutes left to go right. and pulled away on UCLA. They just warmed down, as they always do with their defense. 
Jennifer had seven points. Five or six from the free throw line. Attacked the basket a little bit more. Kane Broom only had nine points, but Cumberland had 10. And Gary Clark had 10. And Washington hit a three. And Jacob Evans was four of six in three-point range. I think Jacob Evans has to be the guy for them to score. Has to be like 15 to 20 points every game. But Gus, it's night and day, man, with Xavier. They control the pace. They can beat anybody. Unbelievable. You know what? This, this Cincinnati team is interesting, and I think you kind of nailed it. And I think what you're mentioning is actually going to play out pretty nicely for them if they follow the script in conference. You look at the favorites in their conference. You look at uh, Wichita State. We look at uh, SMU. We look at uh, Cincinnati. And guess what? None of those teams are trying to run away from you uh, pace-wise. None of those teams are going to you know, absolutely run you off the court. Like they actually are playing the way that Cincinnati wants to play. So I think it's not crazy that you could see Cincinnati winning a game against Wichita State, winning both of those games against SMU because of the way that their their main rivals in the conference actually play as well. So I, I'm looking forward to that first matchup with Wichita State and Cincinnati just to see whose will is going to get forced on the game first. And the, the physicalness that they bring to each one of their matchups, I kind of feel like, and this goes back to us being, um, you know, you know, former college student athletes and, and coaching uh, student athletes as well. You only have a certain number of efforts that you can put out in a row before you need to hit the reset button or you hit the wall, right? And maybe that uh, that number is different for every sport and for every athlete. But let's just put the number at ten. So you figure that Cincinnati can play this really physical style, this really grueling style, probably for about 10 or 11 games in a row. And then, to be honest, they're just not going to have that mental focus to do it for a complete 40 minutes. And they're going to you know, hit the wall, whether it be against uh, Florida when they had those two losses. So I bet they go on another nice run here leading into conference play. And then I want to, I'm very, very, very eager to see that game against Wichita State and, and, and SMU for that matter. All right, I want to finish up with this. Gus, sit back in your chair. Relax as we always do here. Go on the couch. Okay, hold on. I'm going to read off names to you, and I want you to tell me, without studying, without prepping for this segment, if you think they have performed in your mind as one of the top 10 college basketball players this year. So I'm going to read you off 20 names, and I want to hear yes or no. I think they would be, if I sat down and made a list, I think they would be in my top 10 this year. Top 10, now you can define this however you want. Okay. You can define it scoring. You can define it impact, however you want. And and play along with us, the listeners. Yes or no, for example, I'll start with the easiest one. Guys. Okay. Yes or no, has Marvin Bagley performed like a top 10 player in college basketball? Uh, yes. Okay, so you see, you see okay. where this is going. Okay. And then I'll make it easy. Excellent, Ready? excellent, uh, simple starting point here. So I, I'm eager eager to see where this moves forward to. Now I'll go to the flip side. Has Jack Salt performed as a top 10 player in college basketball? I don't know if he's a top 10 player on his own team. <laughs> okay. okay, right. Okay, so you got okay. okay. But some of these are close. So we'll, we'll, be, we'll be curious to see what you say. Trey Young. Absolutely. And he still might be rising to get higher. His performance is skyrocketing right now. Colin Sexton. Oh, I, I'm going to say absolutely. Yeah, I think you can put him in your top 10. I, I think there's no question he's a top 10 college basketball player this season. Jock Landell. No. Correct answer. Very good. <laughs> Here's what I'll say about Jock Landell, though. He is one of the most unique big men in the country because he does have a traditional 
back to the basket game. Now that's not his whole entire game because he can stretch the floor with a three. But I, I don't think it's crazy if you put him in the top twenty-five. How's that? McCall Bridges. Oh wow, that's a great question. Tough one, right? Yeah, that's really interesting because you want to say yes just because of the way he's performed on the big stage. I mean, I think we're all like highlighting that Gonzaga game where he really popped off the screen. Um, I'd like to see a little bit more consistency. How about if I put him in the top 15 currently trending upward? DeAndre Ayton. Oh, without question. You can make an argument he could be number one. Jalen Brunson. You know what? I'm wrong. Yes. I was a little down on him coming into the season. Yes. So you would put him over Bridges? Really? Yes. Wow. Yes. Right now, he is playing like one of the top 10 players in the nation without question. I was completely wrong on this by leaving him off uh, my All-American team. So, yes, he is playing like a top 10 player in America right now. Javon Carter. Ooh, that's a great one. Very nicely played. Top 10. I said top 10. Yeah, you know what? No. How about if we place him in the same category as uh, Mikhail Bridges? Miles Bridges. No. I agree with you. I, I absolutely agree with you, 100%. Devontae Graham. No. LeGerald Vick. Vick could be in the top 25. I think Vick's that's been their it. best player. That's a, I, would you put Vick higher than Graham? I yeah, would. absolutely. 100%. I, th- I don't think it's crazy that you would include Vick on a first-team all-conference right now and maybe as, like I don't know, in conversation for uh, honorable mention All-American. Luke May. Ooh, good one. Uh... Top 15. Yeah, okay. Desi Rodriguez? No. Uh, top 25. Grayson Allen? No. Top 20. Couple more left. Landry Shamit? Uh, no. Jordan Murphy? Yes. Agree with that. Last one, Bonzi Colson. Cannot have Jordan uh, a top 10 list without including Jordan Murphy. And yes, I would throw Bonzi Colson in there too. Because Fair his enough. numbers are unbelievably comparable to Jordan Murphy's. I just thought that was a quick trip around to see what you were thinking. Nice. Very good. Okay. I, we should have kept Very track. Good. I think I think I almost had ten that I agreed to. I think I think you could have. I think a little check this actually. I think you could, you could have. Yes. Uh, so listeners, here's a, a, a little bit of an operational uh, situation. If you're liking what you're listening to, please please be so kind, be so generous, be kind. It folks. is the holiday season. Go ahead and give. Give a review out on iTunes for Screen the Screen or College Basketball Podcast. We'd love to hear it. We'd love to read it. We collect a couple more of those. We'll gladly read them out on the air during the holiday season, giving you some well wishes. And if you're looking for some other ways that you can consume some Screen the Screener content, please hit up RandallRant.com. On there, you'll find some cool fantasy football stuff, but you'll also find uh, a great place to consume all of our podcasts. You can see Mike's excellent short corner review of what happened in the past week and we also have our own top 25 rankings with a little write-up and some clever comparisons uh in the rankings so uh you know please hit those spots up and uh we hope that we're giving you what you want for the college basketball season so thank you so much for tuning in listeners thanks folks we could use the ratings we appreciate the support check out the site follow gus follow myself follow the podcast send us questions we'll read them on the air sds podcast at gmail.com oh sure without yeah i'd love to do that that'd be that'd be that'd 
that'd be great. Uh, I'd love to have some more uh, listener contribution. Gus, that's it for today. We'll see him later this week. Who knows what other upsets are going to happen? I, I'm looking forward to a couple. We got an eye. On, we got our eyes on a couple. Uh, please enjoy the rest of the basketball this week. Good luck on your fantasy football endeavors and playoffs and whatnot. And if you're like a, I don't know, a college football bowl person, like enjoy all the bowls that are upcoming and enjoy the holiday season. Uh, Mike and I will catch up with you later on this week, listeners. Salacha, gratulatia, cheers. SEC hoops. We'll see you folks.